0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke.
1: Glory to you, Lord Christ.
0: Soon after the healing, the centurion's slave, Jesus, went to a city called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. And with her was a large crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the bier, and the bear stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has looked favorably on his people. The word about him spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Amen. When I encounter texts like the one we just heard read, I really do want to put God in a box. I don't know that I want God to be quite that free in this world. And my rational mind, I think, is probably why I want to limit God in that way. And then this past week, I received my copy of The Christian Century, and I was going through it, relaxing in my easy chair, not expecting anything to particularly upset my world as I was going through that periodical. And there, in the midst of these little snippets that they have of news from around the world, was this item. It starts out, the title of it is, Can You Believe This? In 1998, a rainbow appeared above the cabin of a devout Tibetan, a Buddhist Lama, and he lay on his bed as he lay on his bed, chanting a Tibetan mantra. He died, even though he hadn't been sick. Shortly afterward, his students noticed that the monk's skin began to turn soft and pinkish. They were advised by another Lama to cover his body and continue to pray. As the days progressed, the dead monk's body shrank, and by the end of a week, all that remained were a few hairs on a pillow. Well, I didn't need that. (laughs) I was glad to read on and see that the the, uh, U.S. Council of uh, Catholic Bishops had dispatched a Benedictine monk to find out what was really going on. And I must admit that I will uh, continue to read with interest to see what they have determined. But, you know, the reality is that God can't be put in a box, that God doesn't always fit what I think God ought to do or the way God should always act. Now, I will also uh, tell you something that was advice I received from a mentor priest that I really value and I, I live by this as I... Preach And as I talk about scripture, he said, I always avoid getting into debates about whether or not a particular miracle or some wonderful thing that Jesus did, in fact, happened or not. He said, always look for the truth in the story. Always look for what can be gained from it as we look at it in terms of what does it say about God? And what does it say about us in our relationship with God and with one another? So with those two (laughs) warnings as a backdrop, I think we should now proceed to the text that we have this morning. It's a very interesting story. It's one of those that is short. We don't hear it all that often. I think most of us have heard of this widow of Nain. It happened that Jesus had been in Capernaum and you recall that he had healed the slave of the uh, centurion. And then he and his disciples and followers, perhaps many followers, went on to the city of Nain, which is about 23 miles southwest of Capernaum. So it may have taken them a couple of days to get there. But as they approached this uh, city, there was an unusual thing happening, perhaps not all that unusual in the life of the city. But this occurrence for this to happen at the same time as they approached the city gates, There was a procession, a funeral procession coming out of the city gate, and it probably also was made up of lots of people, because in those days, if someone died, they were buried the same day, and part of spreading the news in the town that someone had died and that they should attend a funeral, the procession would wind its way through the streets of the village, and with the wailing of the women and with the mourning of all the men, they would draw more and more people into the procession. So by time they reached the city gate, one can imagine that this was a large procession. And as they're coming out, here comes Jesus with his procession, a large procession as well. And they meet at the city gate. And the gospel says that as Jesus looked on this widow, he had compassion for her. And the word that's used there in the Greek is is a word that uh, means in the pit of his stomach. Now, all of us have had that that feeling from time to time, often with accompanied by bad news. But when you feel it in your stomach, in your gut, it affects you viscerally. That's how Jesus was affected when he looked on this woman who had lost her only son. Now, it was important that uh, that we understand what he was sensing because... For a widow, the only means of support might be a son. And since this was her only son, the death of this son meant that it was also, in a sense, her death. She had probably no other means of support other than to beg for help from those around her. And in communities that were very poor, one can imagine that there was not much opportunity to receive much. So, in a sense, her son had died and Jesus could see that she would die. And then, after he is filled with this sense of compassion, he says to her, Do not weep. And then he walks to the bier carrying her son, touches it, and the mourners stop, and he commands this young man to rise. And he does, and he begins to talk, and as he's speaking, Jesus gives him to his mother. And at that point, the narrative shifts to the reaction of those who are standing around watching all of this happen. And their first reaction is fear. Now, I I guarantee you that if I'm performing a, a funeral service and somebody raises someone out of the casket, I'm going to be afraid, too. I'm going to go the other way. And I'm sure there were people there who really wanted to go the other way. This is not the way the world works. And then after they had dealt with their fear, they recognized and acknowledged Jesus as a prophet. Now, this is important because it was believed in their tradition that prophecy had ended with Ezra and that the prophets had said that at the time of the coming of God's Messiah, there would be a reestablishment of the ministry of prophecy. So in a sense, Jesus is declaring that it is time. This is the time. It also confirms something that he had said when he was in Capernaum. He had said that part of his mission was to proclaim good news to the poor. And certainly what he did that day for that woman, that widow of name, was proclaiming good news to her. Well, that's the... That's roughly the story of the widow of Nain and the raising of her son. But what does all that mean for us? What might we glean from that for our own lives? What does it tell us about God? Well, I think the first thing that we should notice is that I don't believe it was an accident that the writer of Luke has these two processions meeting. One, a procession of death, essentially, and the other, a procession of life. And the possibility of new life. That, in a sense, is our life today. We are surrounded with processions of death and processions of life. Opportunities for death. Opportunities for life. And I believe what God calls us to, and especially the church, is to be a procession of life. To be offering life in the face of death. And the death can take many forms. It can be death of the spirit. It can be death in one's occupation. It can be death of one's reputation. It can be death of a relationship. Death takes many forms in our life. But always, always, God says there is another way. There can be life beyond death. It is no longer the end. I think that as Christians, and especially as a church, We are called to be people of hope, and we should be proclaiming a hopeful life to the world around us, especially when they're in despair. I've been particularly troubled, and I know many of you have as well, with uh, what seems to be an emphasis on fear in America these days. And we seem to be motivated more by fear than by the possibility of being a solid and and a hopeful leader in the world. I believe that part of the role of the church is to be hopeful, hopeful and fearless in the face of the fear that seems to surround us. The second thing that I think is important for us to recognize is that compassion that Jesus had for the woman. The compassion that he felt wasn't just something that he felt and then he went on. Jesus acted on that compassion And that's what I think is so important for us to see. And he acted on it in a way that for him was costly because for him to cross that religious barrier that said that if you touch a dead person or if you touch anything associated with the dead, you become unclean. Jesus could have easily said, I have things to do and I want to be sure that I maintain the the purity laws. I don't want to be unclean. I'm not going to touch that beer today. But he didn't. He reached across that boundary. He reached across that barrier and he made a difference in the life of that young man and of that widow. I believe that God calls us to reach across the boundaries that exist in our lives. The barriers that have been put up by religion, by society, sometimes by, by mores that no longer seem to make any sense because they stand in the way of compassion God calls us to go beyond those boundaries and to reach out and to make a difference in the lives of those who are hurting. I think that for us as a church, we need to be thinking more about how we can be engaged in hands-on ministry outreach with other people. And in the months to come, I know that there are a number of people already who are talking about that. And in the months to come, we'll be talking more about it. Because that is the ministry that we are called to as Christians, to be engaged as individuals with our hands getting dirty, our hands involved in the life of others who are in need. I believe that this lesson today in the gospel about this, this, just raising this young man and the widow of name points very clearly to the need to go beyond the boundaries that might otherwise limit us. Finally, I I think it's important for us to see that Jesus didn't seek out this situation. It literally crossed his path. And that happens so often in our own lives. We don't need to look for places where we can bring life on behalf of God. They will cross our path day in and day out. We'll see it over and over again. It doesn't take a genius to be a Christian. You don't have to prepare yourself for that kind of ministry, you don't have to, to pray for days to find out where is God calling me. Because all we need to do is open our eyes and see what God puts in our path. And that's where we're supposed to act. Right there. I think it's also important to recognize that the woman, the widow of name, didn't ask Jesus to help her. He poured out his help, his love. And I think that's also a characteristic of God that we should see in this passage. And that happens over and over in our lives as well. When we least expect it, it seems. That's when God is present. When we're least able to pray. When we feel the perhaps the most sinful. When we feel perhaps the least worthy of anything that God might give us. Or any grace that God might pour out on us. That is when God pours out God's grace. I believe that God calls us. To look at the path ahead and see where the need is and simply be present as little Christ and bring life where there is death. And I believe God also wants us to know that we are loved and that God reaches out to us just as we are day after day after day and surprises us with God's grace. Amen. Amen.